Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Glad to be here this morning. Um, Renovation Church has been a little bit uh, since I got to hang out with you guys. Uh, who was here the last time? Anybody? Anybody? Y'all remember the enemy tried to strike the lights? Y'all remember? <laughs> Cody's like, hey, man, can you come and preach without a mic? Uh, um, no, but I'm glad to be here. I already feel like family. Um, love your pastor. Love this place. And I'm just excited about what God is doing. Um, we're kicking off a series today called Ducks um, in a Row. And it's, it's interesting. Your pastor called me and he was like, hey, man, uh, can you come preach? And I was like, yeah, what are we doing? He was like, we're doing a new series, Ducks in a Row. I was like, oh, cool. What is it about? He was like, the most important things in your entire life. Can you do week one? <laughs> uh, I was like, sure. He's like, it better be good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm excited about this because um, if you really are paying attention to culture, like church culture, um, our, everything, if you just are, are, are tuned in right now, you know that God is stirring something up. You're, you're hearing about the revivals. You're hearing, um, you're watching churches like this just, just explode as the spirit of God is just moving. He's doing something different. So I think that if we're going to be ready for what God is doing, already, because I'm done saying what he's about to do. Like, if we're going to be ready for what God is doing, um, it's natural that we've got to get our ducks uh, in a row. So we're going to start off today. It's a simple title. So if you're taking notes, just write first things first. First things first. Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Anybody watch the Super Bowl? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Y'all probably didn't because y'all are Titans fans. (laughs) Y'all lost a lot. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm a little salty. I'm from Houston, so y'all took something from me. Um, but anyway, it was funny watching the Super Bowl. I love the Super Bowl, but what I love more is watching the, the post-game interviews because uh, they're always the same. Is anybody else weird like that? Like you want to watch what they're saying afterwards? They say the same things. Um, they all uh, have the same person to thank every single time. God. Come on. Come on. I want to thank God. And then their mom is always like second. I'm like, where's the dad? Like, come on. Um, but, but it's not just in football. Like, I watched all the players. It didn't matter who they were, right? They were like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank God. You go to the Grammys or to the Oscars. Who's the first person everybody thinks? I just want to thank God. Or I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I just want to thank him. And then go on with the rest of our life. I think if you look just about anywhere, you get on TikTok for 15 minutes and everybody's talking about God, Right? Like, God is, God is everywhere, and you would expect with, with, with God being so readily available in, in, in conversation that our, our world would look different, right? Like, you would assume if everybody in Hollywood um, um, puts God first during their speeches, they put God first in their life, and they're, they're, they're thanking God. Like, you would expect if everybody in Hollywood and everybody in the music industry is a believer, they believe in God, they thank God. Um, I guess my question is... Why in the world don't more movies look like it? Or why don't more why don't more songs sound like it? And maybe this is a little bit personal. Are y'all cool if we get a little a little vulnerable today? Can we do that? Um, this may be personal, but um, I think if we polled the room, we're in Gallatin, Alabama, uh, Gallatin, uh, Tennessee. Amen. And I'm from Alabama, right? Um, so so I know y'all like to think y'all are hip, right? Yeah, we're just right outside of Nashville. No, y'all are in Gallatin. (laughs) And and you can pretend 
this is still the Bible belt, friends, <laughs> okay? Now, y'all not necessarily like the buckle, but you're the belt. Like you're... <laughs> so uh, if we were to pull the room, the majority of us would believe in God. I think the majority of us would say we're believers in Jesus and we follow Jesus, or, or at least we would say something to that effect. Um, I guess my question would be to us is, if we put God first in our lives, why are there these moments that don't necessarily look like it? See, I, I have a theory. I, I don't think American Christians have a tough time believing or prioritizing God. I, I wonder, though, if we don't practically know what that's supposed to look like. I wonder if we don't know or understand what that structure is supposed to look like. And scripture gives a lot of precedence to this dynamic. So I want us to dive into some scripture and I think it's gonna inform the practicality of that. Okay, first things first, we put God first, right. But like, what does that look like? What's that supposed to look like? So we're gonna start in Luke chapter nine. I wanna read you a story that maybe you've heard before. It's it's, it's Jesus and his disciples, and they're walking, and then we pick up in verse 57. It says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus says this, maybe you've heard it, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Pretty cryptic, Jesus, okay? Like, I don't necessarily think you need to read too deep into this, uh, but essentially what he's saying is, look, it's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. Um, so if you follow me, that's cool. I want that. However, you need to know that this is going to be difficult. It's not going to be uh, uh, necessarily what you're expecting. So, so just be ready. Then another guy says this. He says, Lord, let me go and first bury my dad. So he's like, I want to follow you, but hang on. I just need to go bury my dad. And then what does Jesus say? Let the dead bury their own. It's a little harsh, right? Like, like that's a, I don't know about you, but this is one of those passages of Scripture where I just have to chalk it up to, like, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts because, Jesus, I'm going to be 100% right here. You seem like a jerk in Luke chapter 9. <laughs> like, anybody else, when you're reading Scripture, you just have to pull one of those, like, man, I don't know what he was thinking. I'm not going to tell my friends this, but that was mean. That's kind of what I was thinking right here. I was just like, that's a little excessive. I'm all for being radical, sold out, follower of Jesus. Like, but that's just a little too far. He just wants to bury his dad. Um, most scholars, though, believe, it's interesting, when you look a little bit deeper into this passage of Scripture, um, the, the first thing, I, I think it's interesting, most scholars believe uh, that this guy's dad wasn't even necessarily dead. How do we know? Well, look at the context, okay? First of all, if your dad is dead, what are you doing strolling and walking on the road. Like, have you ever thought about that? It's like, okay, if your dad's really dead, what are you doing like outside? Shouldn't you like be with your mom or like comforting your brothers? And say, I don't know what you should be doing, but you shouldn't just be walking. It's kind of weird. Um, uh, but also, if you look at the Jewish custom of how they handled funerals, there was no time in between. Like go back to another funeral uh, um, story that we have in the Bible. Anybody remember Lazarus? Okay, like, like just doing a little bit of math, the Bible says that Jesus, um, Jesus got the news and then waited two days, right? And then when he showed up at, at Lazarus's house in Bethany, which was about a day and a half uh, walk away from where he was, the Bible said that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Okay, so context clues, almost as soon as Lazarus died, what, did they would, have, what would they have had to do? Put him in the 
the tomb, right? So when you, when you passed away in Jewish culture, you went into the tomb pretty quick. The majority of the reason was because uh, if you were near dead people, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go to temple. You couldn't be around folks. So they wanted to get you in the tomb as soon as possible. So if this guy's dad truly had died, um, first things first, he would have had to bury him. And he didn't. He's out on the road talking to Jesus, chatting it up. Second, uh, a lot of scholars believe that there was an ulterior motive here. Uh, anybody remember the prodigal son? What's so wild about the prodigal son? Most people think, oh, I can't believe the son left his father's house. That wasn't that wild. As a matter of fact, that happened all the time. Uh, Peter uh, and, and, and his brother Andrew technically would have been a prodigal son. Technically, um, they wouldn't have been mad at their dad. But if you, if you notice, they left their father's profession. They left his house. What happens in, in, in Jewish custom back then, if you were to leave your father's house, it's fine, but you're cut off from the will. What was so crazy about the prodigal son was that he left and got the money too right? Yeah. Like that was what was wild. So leaving the house is fine, but you don't get the money if you leave. Parents in the room say, amen. Some of y'all need to get off the insurance. You're 27. You're faking. So this guy essentially was saying, um, Jesus, I've got, a, I've got an inheritance coming to me. So if we could just like make it convenient, like give me a, give me a few years. My dad's really old. He's starting to, to, to get to that age. Like he's going to die soon. I'm going to get the money. Once I'm financially secure, I'll come and I'll follow you. Okay. I think what we see from this passage of scripture is that this man was eager to declare his belief in who Jesus was. God, I'll follow you. Jesus, I'll follow you. He, he was eager to declare his belief, but he was hesitant when it came to following I wonder how often in our own lives are we so eager to declare believe, but hesitant to follow. I wonder how often we're met with a question when Jesus asks us, will you follow me? We say things like, yes, Jesus, I want to serve at church. I want to be all in. I want to be about this whole Jesus life. At the same time, uh, things are just really hectic in my life right now. Okay. I'm trying to do this digital content creator thing. I've just got a lot going. Uh, the travel ball is about to start and our kids are going to be nuts, right? I just got a lot going on, Jesus. I just don't know about right now, but I believe in you. Like in my heart, I, I, I believe in you. I wonder how often we are eager to declare our belief, but hesitant when we are met with a question um, to follow. If we're going to have our ducks in a row, if we're going to put first things first, if we're going to get a, a practical idea about what it means um, to put God first in our life, the first thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to reimagine our will. We're going to have to reimagine our will. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, says it like this. He says, the will to obey is the engine that pulls the train of spirituality in Christ. Uh, but in many Christian circles, spirituality has become just another dimension of Christian consumerism. Essentially, what he's saying is we, we generated a body of people who consume Christian services and think that that's Christian faith. Or in other words, he, he's, thinking, he's saying that we're, we're, we're thinking that coming to church makes me saved. Or maybe to say it like this, the thing that keeps, keeps us stuck spiritually is, is not a lack of knowledge or belief. The thing that keeps us stuck spiritually could it be a chronic deficiency of our will? 
this is kind of a sobering thought, but could it be that sometimes maybe we don't follow Jesus simply because we don't want to? And I'm not meaning that we're showing up at church and going, you know what? (laughs) Not today. Not today, God. I just don't want to follow. What I'm saying is maybe like the man in, in, in Luke chapter nine, are we saying we want to follow Jesus, but our actions are showing our desire? Could we, could we be hoping that Jesus is the right way, but our life is illustrating a different, a different thought? I love the way that the message translation says John chapter 12, uh, verse 24 through 26. It says this. It says, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground. So check this out. You're the grain of wheat. Okay, everybody say, I am wheat. Okay. Um, I, I didn't do it that way last service. That just reminded me. Anybody seen Guardians of the Galaxy? You know what I'm talking about? I am Groovy. <laughs> and um, he says, uh, unless a grain of wheat falls and is buried in the ground, check this out, it's got to be dead to the world. So you're experiencing a resurrection, or sorry, a, a death of sorts in order to experience a resurrection of sorts, but you have to go uh, down into the ground. What else gets buried? Dead people, right? Right? Uh, so, so unless you get, you get buried in the ground, dead to the world, um, then it's never anything more than just a grain of wheat. Check this out. But if it's buried, right, you go through your, the death of sorts to the world, it sprouts or grows, and it reproduces many times over. It reproduces many times. I wonder why, um, when we talk about the qualifications of what it means to be a believer, do we focus on what you believe? But we miss this little section about you having to die, and then you having to grow, and then you having to reproduce. Like, you get to be a Christian if you believe, but you don't have to die, you don't have to grow, and you don't have to reproduce. When I look at Jesus talking about what it means to follow him, because then right after he says, he says this, in the same way, so he's saying this is an analogy for you. In the same way, check this out, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys their life. So you keep holding on to what you want life to be minus following the way of Jesus. And guess what's going to happen to it? You're going to lose it. Nothing lasts. But if you let it go, and this is why I love the message translation, if you let it go, reckless in your love. Homeboy that wrote reckless love, he he got it wrong. Like God's love is, is definitely reckless, but so is ours. He says, you got to be reckless in your love. And you'll have that life forever, real and eternal. Then he says, if any, if any of you want to serve me, then follow me. Do what I'm doing. But it begins with a reckless will. You got to want it, the, the desire, the love that you have for Jesus. I, I've been to a lot of church services. Can I be real about something? I don't know if I've ever been to a reckless worship service. Orderly, controlled, clean. Y'all all smell good in here, let me tell you. Like, like I've been to worship services that look, that, that, that look quiet and honest, but reckless. 
an interesting word to describe the way we should feel about Jesus. I've been married to my wife for about eight years, and um, we got married really, really young, okay? Anybody else get married young? Raise your hand so I can see everybody who made a decision to change the rest of your life before you had a fully developed prefrontal cortex. (laughs) Y'all are high-fiving like, yeah, (laughs) we didn't even have fully developed brains. We did, uh, but what was crazy was uh, we got engaged, and it, like I wanted, I'm a romantic. I'm just gonna be honest. Like I love a good rom com. Okay, I'm sorry, uh, but I like that's just how I live. Like I just like things are grand to me, right? Uh, and I wanted my engagement to be this way. So uh, my wife, while we were dating, um, she was uh, doing some mission work in Thailand, and I was like, you know what will be wild. I'm going to top any dude of ever. His engagement story is not even going to be close, okay? So I book a plane ticket, and I buy a ring, and the trip costs more than the ring. No big deal. (laughs) But then I go over there, and then I propose to my wife, and she says, yes, everything's incredible. And she's just blown away. I'm talking about the tears. It happened exactly the way I said it. It was incredible. Come on. Um, Eight years later, two kids in. And I rewind and go, man, uh, to get engaged, I would have flown to Thailand. Halfway across the world, reckless. But now she can't even get me to go to Publix. (laughs) Part of that is because she asks a lot. I'm just kidding. Baby, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. The green beans are, as soon as I get home, I'm bringing the green beans, okay? No, but, but seriously, like, like anybody who's been married a minute, you know that oftentimes what began as extraordinary often moves into ordinary pretty quick. Yeah. I wonder how often our relationship with Jesus goes from extraordinary to ordinary because of some time spent. Like, do we, do we have the will, right? Do we have the will to fall in love with Jesus or, or does our willingness to follow him often shrink down to, the, to our inability to obey him. I think meaning well, what, what, what kind of began this process as well in, in, in most church circles is, is, and I'm one of those preachers, just so you know, like, like I am a grace dealer. Like I am going to preach about grace and it's free. You can't earn it. You didn't do nothing to get it, but Jesus came and now you got it and you can't lose it because he gave it. Like I'm, I'm going to preach it, okay? Um. But I think sometimes in preaching and believing in free grace, we forgot about the cost to follow. Like you need to know you have grace and you need to know that you couldn't earn it, but you also need to know that you're going to have to experience a death. It's going to cost you to follow Jesus. So first things first, if we're going to put God as our priority, We're going to have to reimagine our will. The second thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to redefine our why. We're going to have to redefine our why. Anybody remember why they got saved the very first time? It's not hard for me. I was seven years old and I was Baptist. So it was super simple. One word, hell. (laughs) Like Baptist preachers have a PhD in scaring seven-year-olds. I'm telling you. Like, it was just so good. I mean, the sermon was beautiful. Anybody remember those hell houses? Y'all know what I'm talking about? At Halloween, people like the, the four stages. Y'all ever wonder why black people never go to those? We don't play with that. 
But, but, but seriously, it was like, like when I got saved, it was like, I am not going to hell. That's why I got baptized so fast because hell was hot, but baptism looked cool. So I was like, okay. But seriously, that, that was why I, I got saved. And, and those of you who, got, who found Jesus later on in life, you have a much more um, developed uh, capacity to handle things emotionally. So you made decisions on, 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 on Jesus for different reasons, and that's totally fine. Like, like for me, it was I wanted to know where I was going when I died. For some people, it was I, I was hopeless and I needed hope. I, I was deep in depression, then I experienced the joy of Christ, or I was addicted, and now, and now I, found, I found freedom. But it's totally fine. As a matter of fact, I think that's the way that Jesus designed it. Um, they call him the great healer, right? But, but what use is a healer if there's not symptoms to treat? So I think that that's fine. All of us have these symptoms, and then we go to Jesus, and then he heals it, right? And that's fine. Oftentimes, the problem is our original revelation of who Jesus is is our current one. Like, if I never grew past, I need somebody to secure my eternal destiny. If, if all that I needed was somebody to, to, to save me from hell, I wouldn't move past that area, and I would just technically be waiting to get to heaven. Or, or, if, or if you never move past needing somebody to give you hope, you'll, you'll never experience the joy of being disciplined. Like, like having a symptom is fine, but you can't stay at your current revelation. And I think scripture gives us context for this. Matthew chapter four, you know this story. Uh, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was Peter, and Andrew. They were putting out a net to seek because they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to him, to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of man. Boom. At once, they followed him. Anybody ever read that story and go, wow, that, that was quick? I think oftentimes we read scripture and we miss the context here. Uh, the Bibles are synoptic, or sorry, the Gospels are synoptic, which that, that just essentially means they're all for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John telling the same story. So we have to jump over to Luke to get the context of what's actually happening in Matthew chapter 4. Luke chapter 5 tells us this, that Jesus needed a boat. He, see two, he sees two guys. He says, y'all, can I borrow your boat? They're like, yes. Jesus gets on the boat according to Luke chapter 5, and starts preaching. And it's, it's incredible. The message was insane. Why? Well, because it was Jesus. Okay, right? Stay with me. Um, he preaches. It's wild. It's incredible. And then he says, hey, you guys are fishermen. Y'all want to catch some fish? And they were like, yo, we haven't caught anything in a little bit. He's like, that's fine. Throw your net on the other side. And they're like, okay. Throw their net over. What happens? It's full of and they're like, this is wild. And then Jesus says, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You see why the analogy makes sense now? Because they're going, oh, all these fish? It's going to be all these people? Like, you could do that with people and fish. Can you do that with money? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know if, I don't know if they said that. Uh, but essentially, they saw that they had a symptom. What was the symptom? We didn't have no fish. Jesus healed it. How? He made them have a lot of fish. But they didn't stay at that current sorry, at their original revelation. How do we know? Fast forward to Matthew chapter 16. What does it say there? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or some other prophet. Then he says, no, no, no. Who do you say I am? What does Peter say? You are the Messiah. 
son of the living God. This, this exchange happens, notice, after they were already disciples. So they initially followed Jesus because of what he could do. But in Matthew chapter 16, everything changed and they began to follow Jesus because of who he is. It's so funny to me. Like I so often catch myself, even as a pastor, desperate for that Matthew for Jesus. Because my family's going through a lot right now. My, my grandmother is sick and my mom and her are really, really close. And, and I'm doing my best to call my mom pretty often because I love her and I want to be there for her. But I also have two kids who are psychopaths and I'm trying to do right by them. But I also have a wife and a marriage and I'm, trying, and I'm a pastor, so I'm discipling. And, I'm t- and, and it just seems like a, I just need God to just do something. You ever feel like that? Like, just bring me that Matthew for Jesus who could just go, whoa. But when we look at the, the message Scripture is trying to give us, it's going, I gave you that revelation so you would follow me. But then I, I let you know a little bit about who I am so that you would stay with me. I grew up a pastor's kid, like I told y'all earlier, and, and my testimony is pretty straight. Like, I remember in youth group, anybody else was in youth group and you were just like wishing you had a crazier testimony? Like, I was one of those kids. I just never walked away. I kind of just kind of stayed on the path, right? Got married young, was a youth pastor, did the whole thing. And seriously, young youth pastors, so dumb. And nobody, like, don't be a youth pastor at 19. It's not a thing. You're a youth. Anyway, like, I was doing my thing, trying to, got married young. I was a pastor, and I was doing this whole thing. Then I wake up, and I'm married been married for a couple of years. I'm 26 years old. I'm miserable. Stuck in addiction. Can't break free. And I remember yelling at God one day going, I believed in you. I believed in you my whole life. I've given everything to you. Like, I believe in what you could do. I believe in who you said you were. I believed in the Bible in church. I've got all this belief and look where it's got me. And I remember Jesus whispered so sweetly to my spirit. And I still remember the day he says, Jared, I know you believe in me, but you don't follow me. He says, when I look at your life, I know you believe in your head and your heart, but you live hurried. You live busy. You're not experiencing the joy of Sabbath and true rest. When I look at your goals, they're, they're, Jerry, they're largely materialistic. I know you're a pastor, but it's about, it's about how much you're going to have saved when you, when you die. It's about the impact that you can make and the things you can do. Like, like when I look at the things you love, it's not my spirit. When I look at your habits, I don't see a rhythm of fasting where you're teaching your body to rely on the word of God the same way that your spirit does. He said, Jared, when I, when I look at your life, I don't see rhythms of generosity that are, that are teaching you how to have the compassionate character of Christ. When I look at the way you live your life, it doesn't look like the way my son Jesus lived his life. And I remember feeling an embrace, not condemnation. It wasn't you've got it wrong. It was confirmation that Jesus got it right. Now I get to follow, not in what he believed, but I got to follow in the way he lived his life. 
So many people are begging for the peace, the miracles, and the majesty of Jesus, and they think they receive that by putting their faith in him. But what we don't understand is that the context of faith is that it requires action. We can't just put our faith in him. We have to organize our lives around him. Or maybe this helps. So many people want the life that Jesus promises in John chapter 10, 10, that I've come to bring life and bring it more abundantly. Like that's why they come to Jesus because they want this life. But life with Jesus is made so much simpler when we begin to look at the life of Jesus. Like it's, it's a structural thing, not a behavioral thing, not a belief. Like we've got to begin to look at the way Jesus lived his life and that's what our measure is. But I wonder how many people are showing up to church services pretty often with a solid belief and really know their doctrine but are missing what it looks like to simply organize your life in the pattern that Jesus lived his. I want to give you a chance to respond. I want you to close your eyes for a second. And do me a favor, just like take a deep breath. Sometimes church spaces can cause us to get so uptight. Can I take all the pressure off this moment for a second? This is not a first time salvation call. For some of you, maybe it is, it'll be that, but this is different because I want you to understand the language that I'm going to use. So one more time, just take a deep breath. Release it. If you're in this space, and much like me, you live the majority of your relationship with Jesus with really, really strong beliefs, and you've put your faith in him, you may even be saved. You prayed the prayer. Maybe you've even been baptized recently. It is what it is. My question isn't, do you believe in Jesus? My question today is when you look at the pattern of your life, does your life look like Jesus says? Like, do you live hurry, hurried and busy, missing true rest? Do you have a Sabbath? Do you know what it means to, to move slow so that you can see people in need? Like, how do you see people? Are they, are they, they customers and people to take from or, or are they God's children for you to give to? Like, like, like do you live hurried? Do, do, you, do you give to people? Are you missing out on the true joys of prayer? When you look at your heart, are you often anxious? worried? Or, or do you experience the true peace that's found in Jesus Christ? Like, like, is your heart full of unspeakable, unspeakable joy even when you go through tragedies? Or do you find that you can't seem to find hope most days? I'm asking these questions not to say, are you saved or not? But to say that the way of Jesus doesn't look like the way of the world. So if you're in this space, you believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. Fill in the blank, all the stuff that we say. But you look at your life and it does not look like the way of Jesus. 
I'm not asking, are you perfect? I'm asking, are you practicing the way of Jesus? If you can truly say in this room that you're not, you're not following his way, you believe in him, but you're missing that second call to follow his way. If that's you, could, could you just raise your hand? Could you just be honest in this, pay, in this place? You can put your hand down. What I want you to know is you're not alone. As a matter of fact, I think that's the majority of the church. I think we're missing the power found in the patterns of Christ. So I'm gonna pray for you, but Cody's also gonna give you some next steps because here's the truth. The only way you get to that space is by organizing your life around the way of Jesus. You have the beliefs. Now, it's about rhythms of rest, silence and solitude. It's about, it's about rhythms of generosity and compassion. And there's next steps to follow and Cody's gonna give you those, but what I wanna do is if you raised your hand, could you just put both hands out in front of you? I just wanna pray for you. If you responded, Jesus, your way is the way. It shows us peace. It shows us goodness, but it also, it also shows us compassion and reckless generosity. And God, that's the way that we need. That's the way that our, our, our lives are begging for. So, so for every single person who is receiving prayer right now, responding, saying, look, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not following your way. God, could you make um, a revelation of your spirit so evident in every single person's mind right now? Give a picture. And as we give next steps, God, I pray for desire, a reimagined will where we are reckless. We're willing to get rid of anything, job, financial security, doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing compares to the riches found in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we'd be willing to wreck our lives if it means we can restructure it around your way. Father, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church give. Have a blessed day.